Hey folks, welcome back, and today we are going to be talking about character evolution, and I just realized that going into this, I'm very unprepared. Usually I have a notebook worth of points in front of me, but I got ahead of myself and forgot to make a notebook worth of points. Luckily today I'm going to be doing this a little differently. So, um, character evolution. There are... In my personal opinion, character evolution is on a spectrum. Now, the two ends of the spectrum are positive and negative. Most, more often than not, you see positive character evolution because they make characters more likable. But you can always have negative character evolution, and that's what I'm going to talk about first today. So, um, I'm trying to think of a book with... Um, negative character evolution, and the one that's coming into mind is the uh, prequel for The Hunger Games. If you haven't read it, it's about, um, oh, it's called uh, The Ballad of Snakes and Songbirds, or Songbirds and Snakes, or something like that. Um, But if you haven't read it, it's about... uh, Coriolanus Snow, who um, is the big bad guy in The Hunger Games, Um, but it takes place like 70 years before that, and, you know, it takes place during the, um, when The Hunger Games start, you know, ramping up, and it is a perfect example of negative character evolution because you start out with this, like, bright-eyed, very poor you bet he didn't realize that, but he was a very poor um, kid who want, who fell in love with the contestant that he was supposed to be mentoring. And a lot of things happened. I'm not really going to go into detail because that's not the example I'm using. But a lot of things happened, and um, <sighs> Coriolanus, I know quite the uh, name there, but he definitely devolved. And if you want to learn more about that, you should probably just read the book. But the one that I am going to be doing today is one of my own design. Um, and that is going to be Lucian Creed from Lies and Deceit, Hidden in the Wind. I realize that a lot of people have not read it. So I just have my character chart here and I'm just going to read from it, I guess. And, oh man, I'm trying to see, I mean, I guess I can go through like a summer, a quick summary of the book. And, okay, so the full name is Chai Lucian Creed of Finn. Finn is where he lives. So just a little um, exclaimer because, yeah, it's, it's a fantasy world. So some of the names are going to be a little confusing for people. Uh, nicknames, Lucian, Chai Creed, Chai Lucian, Luce, Lucy. Um, he is 19. Uh, he looks like he could be, uh, 16, but he goes through, like, a major transformation where he, like, finally hits his growth spurts and stuff and, like, bulks out a little bit. And so, by the end of the book, he looks, or not the end of the book, but by, like, the middle of the book, he looks, like, 25 And then he, like, shrinks back down again as he's dying. Um, His gender is male. 
His sexual preference is bisexual. Um, his height is 5'11 to uh, 6 foot. So he grew just a little bit, but he grew. Um, his body type is an ectomorph, and if you don't know what an ectomorph is, they um, lose fat really easily, but don't build muscle very easily. So they are kind of on the skinnier end of the spectrum. Uh, his eye color is brown. His skin tone is olive. His hair color and style is dark brown and a quiff. If any of you know what that is, I don't, I can't even like picture it right now. Uh, defining features, he has a scar on his neck. Um, tattoo of the royal symbol on his, uh, back and a branding of the royal symbol on his chest. Uh, species, he is human. Life expectancy is 60. You know, that's a lot different from what we have today, but there's is taking place in like um medieval a medieval time period anyway. Um allergies, he doesn't have any medication, none. Language finished, but it's written in English because honestly, I do not feel the need to create a whole different language. Uh accent. Yes, he does have an accent. Um he is literate. His hobbies include journey, journaling, reading, and painting. But as um, time goes on, his hobbies kind of like shrink into the background as he like um, solely focuses on becoming more powerful. So then his um, hobbies shift towards reading, like trying to find out how he can find more power, um, learning from his mentor, and his mentor is his general of his armies, and um, fencing. He keeps fencing from his original hobbies because, um, you know, he's trying to become intimidating and more powerful, I guess. So, quirks. This was um, pretty relevant the entire story, but he was always suspicious it got even worse as time goes on and that's how he kind of like spiraled out of control is his suspicions were always so strong sometimes they were correct which prompted him to have more suspicions but uh most of the time they were not <laughs> he hears voices in his head which is like the big thing that um started everything and his downward spiral is the voice in his head that keeps telling him to uh um, you know, <laughs> kill people. Sorry, I'm just trying to get rid of stuff. Um, insomnia. He has very bad insomnia, which causes him to lose it a little bit. Uh, a little, yeah. He loses, um, his mind because he can't get enough sleep. Um, he, I didn't keep this, but, okay. His quote and mantra as he gets later into the story is, if they aren't with you, they're against you, uh, which is kind of a play on from Star Wars. Like, Anakin, um, let me see, what else, where they grew up? They grew up in Finn. That always stayed the same. Uh... 
His favorite memory is standing on the balcony. Its effect on him, it reminds him of a time before he got plagued by the darkness in his head. Um, so, his worst memory is killing, um, his boyfriend. Well, not his boyfriend, but they were pretty close. And the effect, it made him lose hope for himself. And that's when he really spiraled and fell into a deep, deep depression. Like, he was depressed before, and rightfully so. But it got way worse. (laughs) He fears losing himself, which makes this um, de-evolution very, very bad for him. He, um, yeah, it's, it's just... It's terrible. <laughs> oh man. Um flaws, he is losing his mind and he is not very influential. <laughs> that's that's what I have written down. Um so as his de-evolution goes, he starts out with um his life is going pretty well, his He's, um, about to become, well, not about to, but he's in line for becoming the ruler, and so he is just learning all that stuff that he needs to know. He, um, is in love with his fiance, even though it is arranged marriage. Um, let's see. So basically his life's going pretty well at this point, and then he starts hearing the voices, and he um, starts doubting himself, and at the end of the first part, he almost, almost kills his wife. Not, yeah, his wife at that point. Um, but he doesn't. He pulls through. Then he leaves for a little bit, and he, like, seeks spiritual guidance, I suppose. It doesn't work out for him, so he comes back, and uh, what else? And then he, like, oh goodness, he starts, um, realizing that his father's been lying to him for a long time, and he's reading this journal from a while back written by his father about his mother, who had the same, like, issues as he did, and then he finds out that his father killed his mother, and that his father was trying to, um, get him expelled from the royal courts, which, you know, it wouldn't be a problem for him because he was, um, dying, like, he wouldn't survive very long anyways, but his wife would also be kicked out of, um, the royal courts, and she had a long time to live, so that was a big issue for Lucian because his fatal flaw is loyalty, and he was loyal to his wife, so... What ended up happening is he, um, at the, uh, I I guess you could say climax of that part in the book, he killed his father by the, um, oh goodness. Yeah, okay, and so in the third part, he begins to get involved with this boy named Lyndon. And he starts, like, struggling with his sexuality a bit. Um, 
while he's, like, still going crazy, because, you know, um, he just killed his father, and people are trying to figure out who did it, so he has to fix all of that, all that mess that he left behind, um, basically he's just feeling stressed and overwhelmed and is about to crack, and the thing that pushed him off the edge is that he thought that Lyndon was having an affair with his wife, but he couldn't get anyone, either one of them, to admit it. But if they had just admitted it, um, everything would be fine. But they didn't. And Lucian's big pet peeve is having control over everything. And so, yeah, he... Oh, goodness. He finds them in an embrace. I don't clarify if it was a romantic or friendship embrace because, you know, this book is supposed to make you um, draw conclusions on your own. He finds them in an embrace and murders Lyndon, and that's what makes him crack. His depression increased tenfold. He His lust for power increased tenfold. He got dangerous. He got um, murderous. And basically, he was not a good person to be around. His wife left him. Um, his best friend started... Uh, he started becoming more withdrawn. And, yeah. So, that happened. Okay. So, in part four, Lucian's, like, completely lost it. He's going crazy. His friends have all left, but he tries to um, get his best friend Ronan, who has kind of been with him the entire time, to uh, trust him again. So he confesses all the things that he had done. Little did he know that Ronan was working for his wife, Brinley, who was plotting to destroy him. So Ronan betrays Lucian. Lucian finds out and um, then goes on a murderous rampage and tries to kill Ronan and Brinley. He kills Ronan, not Brinley, and gets thrown in jail, and that basically climaxes his, that climaxes his, um, uh, his de-evolution. Hi, sorry, I got interrupted, and, um, the next bullet point, I got a open up a Google Docs for because I didn't write it down, which kind of sucks for me, but, oh man, it's kind of far down. Okay, let me see. So, the next character development is the negative to positive. Uh, let me see, and that one is for Dear Noah. Dear Noah is a book that I almost wrote. I did all the work for it, but didn't end up writing. It was going to be a prequel to a book I'd already written called, um, The Grace in the Fall. But, uh, yeah, it didn't end up happening. <laughs> kind of sucks for me, because I have literally every single character plotted out. Um, I guess I'm just going to have to, I don't know, do some waiting. It'll happen eventually, just not right now. Um, so let me just do some background. The main character, her name is Tammy. 
um, Tamara Palmer Hathaway. And I have some character templates, which kind of explain some things going on. Uh, yeah. And what happens, it, yeah. Anyway, so her character name is Tamara Palmer Hathaway. Her hair color is dark auburn. Her eye color is green. Her weight is, um, 134 pounds. She is, uh... Five six. She is an ectomorph. She is sixteen in two thousand, which is when the book takes place, and thirty five in twenty nineteen, which is when I did this. Yeesh. <laughs> she was born June fifteenth, nineteen eighty four. She hasn't died. Um, her clothing is mostly casual. Uh, she likes music, partying, playing with kids, picking up house projects. Having independence, challenging the status quo, sports, searching for the next high, finding ways to make her parents tick. So, you can see she's kind of a rebellious teenager a little bit. And I'm sure to cover this a little bit more later, but that proves to be quite the issue. She dislikes unoriginality, quiet, being alone, confined to one thing. Her relationship with her family is strained until her older sister comes back. Um, her mother is Rose Hathaway. Her father is Bill Hathaway. Her siblings, she has one, her, a sister. Her name is Judy Hathaway, who is 31 when uh, Tammy is 16. So there's quite the age gap. Her ethnical background is American. Her educational background is up to nursing school. She is a nurse um, in the first book, in the, um, in Grace in the Fall. Uh, she lived in Iowa for a while, Los Angeles, Austin, Texas, California, and then Oregon. She is open-minded. A brief history of her... Tamara Palmer Hathaway is born to Rose and Bill Hathaway on June 15, 1984. She has an older sister, Judy Allison Hathaway, who is 15 years older than her. As a kid, she grew up despising authority figures and is often described as a rebellious child. She was eight when she met her future husband, Logan, Reese Logan Carter. They became close in high school and started dating their junior year. As a high school student, she was described as a partier who was open to trying all manners of drugs and alcohol but wasn't addicted. As a sophomore, her parents sent her to rehab over the summer to try to stop her from partying, but it didn't work. Reese and she got engaged after a false positive pregnancy caused him to propose to her at 17. When Tammy and Reese got married at 18, her parents cut her off. When Tammy was 19, she found out she was pregnant, and she and her husband Reese got clean of all manners of drugs and alcohol and eventually converted to Mormonism. She became a nurse, and shortly after that, her husband died when she was 24, which left her with a five-year-old son, Noah Reese Carter. Her personal goals is living a life she will not regret. Eventually, she begins regretting her reckless actions. Her quirks are she's fidgety. She has a necklace that she always wears. She's constantly partying, brutally honest, 
fantastic cook slash baker, bad influence on people around her, horrible sense of direction, but a good driver. Future, she becomes a grandparent at 41, remains a nurse until retiring at 68, is overly aggressive one flustered. So that's Tamara. She, you kind of see what happens, but I do believe I have a book description somewhere around here. Um, I have a log line. <laughs> log lines are kind of great. Uh, Tamara Hathaway, a druggie addicted to partying, realizes she is living an unhealthy and unsustainable lifestyle with her love interest, Reese Carter, so she decides to get clean for her, her unborn son, Noah. That is the logline. Roughly. <laughs> uh, yeah. If you don't know what a logline is, it's a protagonist plus a problem plus a desire plus a goal. So, there you go. Um... Let me see. I'm trying to find out. Okay, so a lot of this. I have quite a few chapters. And I have, um, I don't know. I guess, uh, almost, um, Goodness. Ex backgrounds on the chapters. Okay, so the whole book surrounds the letters that uh, Tammy is writing to her son, Noah. And um, so here's the letters ideas. They're all labeled. And the first one is meeting your father. The letter is written in 2011, but the flashback takes place in 1992. Tammy and Reese are eight years old. It takes place at their elementary school Reese shows Tammy around school. Um, the next letter is friends. Tammy reveals that she and her friends weren't good students. The flashback shows that she was friends with Reese Carter and Everly Lamarck. Reese Carter is friends with Carson Lancaster. Reese is really flirty with Tammy. She and her friends are constantly in and out of detention. 16-year-old Tammy explains how they all became to be came to be friends. School is the next uh, letter. Uh, Tammy advises Noah how to be a good student, unlike what she and her friends did. The flashback reveals that Tammy was smart and could do well when she tried, She was constant, but she was constantly unmotivated. Tammy and her friends would ditch school whenever they could afford to ditch without failing. It is shown that school is mostly on the back of their minds. Reese is shown to be a good student with a particular talent for math. Everly has no ambition and coasts through high school with mostly D's bullying. Uh, Tammy tells Noah that in no way, shape, or form should he ever bully. Tammy also tells Noah that if he is ever bullied, he should just needs to tell her and she'll take care of it. In the flashback, Tammy, Reese, and Everly come back to school and pretty much bully anyone who isn't them. Their main target is a freshman named Catherine. They bully Catherine because of her ultra-religious views. Parties. Tammy tells Noah that parties will never be, will and never be seen. Um, during the flashback, Tammy, Reese, and Everly and Quinn go out and wait until they get news of parties. The beach, the group hangs out on the beach. They invite Carson because of, um, good, clean family fun, uh, for now. If you don't, Carson is, like, the good boy of the group. Carson voices his opinion on the group partying. 
He doesn't like it. Quinn only talked to Tammy, which angered Reese because of his love for Tammy. Quinn was one of the friends. Uh, peer pressure. Tammy explains how peer pressure can be good and bad. The group peer pressured Carson into going surfing. Um, so that was a good thing. He learned something. Uh, Quinn, um, you learn that Quinn is a narcoleptic and falls asleep on a surfboard. Tammy and Reese teach Carson how to surf. Everly gets Quinn back to shore safely. Quinn begins to fall in love with Everly. Tammy takes Quinn's crush on Everly and promises to help. Reese and Everly question Quinn about his dangerous random falling asleep, and Reese takes pictures of everyone. Marijuana. They smoke on the beach. Carson ridicules them all for smoking. You get hints on Reese's crush on Tammy. They watch the sunset. Carson gets sick from all the smoke, and they leave to go party elsewhere. Alcohol. Carson drives them to a college party. Reese begins to get drunk and picks up fights. Quinn gets flirty. Tammy and Everly kiss for a dare. Quinn gets jealous and tries to talk Tammy out of it. They play truth or dare. Basically, so you get... They are not the best, um, they are not the most well-behaved group of teenagers you have ever did see. Eventually, they will get better, um, so I'm just gonna continue on this. Drugs, Everly pulls out cocaine. Tammy and Everly do some. Reese pretended to do some because he's not really in it. He's in it because he, um, thinks Tammy is into it, but... Tammy is kind of into it at this point. Um, Quinn refuses. Tammy and Everly get extremely high. Reese tries to tell Tammy how she feels, but she's too out of it. Romantic relationships. Reese takes Tammy to the ocean front to try and get her to sober up. Tammy starts crying about how her parents are disappointed in her. Reese comforts her. Tammy kisses Reese. They have a discussion on why they act like they do. Um, Reese tells her that he's in love with her. Tammy asks him out. Popularity. Tammy talks about how popularity can get, can corrupt people, but it can also make the school better. You see Tammy and friends bullying other people. They get egged on by the other popular kids. You get introduced to Paisley Carter, Paisley Carter, Reese's little sister, a victim to their bullying. You can see the captain of the softball team and her teammates help out the victims. Everyone disbands. Um, the next letter is your grandparents. Tammy explains about how they are absentee parents. A flashback shows how they never cared where she was or what she was doing. It is revealed that she acts out in order to get their attention. She is constantly compared to her older sister. She defies them often. Um, the next letter is sex and sexuality. In the letter, Tammy tells Noah he's not allowed to have sex ever, which... I mean, kind of. <laughs> Basically, he's like seven years old, but... <laughs> so, she's allowed to feel that way. But he's allowed to feel whatever he wants to feel. Tammy comes out as bisexual. She comes out to Everly. Everly comes out as queer since she doesn't really know what she is. Tammy and Reese have sex. Tammy updates the letter in 2018, telling him he can do whatever he wants with his body as long as he does it safely. Um... Then I don't really have any more, but I'm just going to, like, explain some of them. So, 
The next letter is Choose Better Friends than I did. I don't really remember what's happening there, but what I recall is that her friends are just not doing so well. Um, then they go on and on. And the next one is sports and how sports are a good thing, but you should always be clean when you're doing sports and they are all jocks, I tell you, all of them. Uh, Reese Carter is a football player. Tammy plays soccer. Everly is a cheerleader. Uh, Quinn does weightlifting, not for the school. Carson, he's a track star. Um, let me see. Violence. Violence is the big one. Uh, Tammy begins to question her partying lifestyle when she realizes that um, her friends around her get a little violent when they get drunk or when they get high, and it scares her. And she tries to cut them off a little bit, but it doesn't end up working. And then the next big chapter is overdoses. And that is when they lose um, Everly to her addictions, um, and that is a major turning point, Uh, um, let me see, Tammy vows never to do hard drugs again, she, um, still drinks, she still smokes marijuana, but she doesn't do, um, cocaine ever again, uh, and then... She kind of, like, cleans up a little bit by the end of the book, and everything is all good. So, I'm sorry that I don't really have a good ending to this book because I didn't get very far in the... Well, I did get far in the planning and development, but I didn't finish it. Anyway, this is kind of a long segment, and I feel like I've been talking for 30 minutes, so I'm going to stop. I hope you enjoyed this. Sorry, it was a little disorganized. I'm doing this at like 9.30 at night because I totally forgot yesterday and I almost forgot today. Anyway, so those are two very different um, characters that I've written. And yeah, goodbye. See you later. (laughs) 